Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of all ages, Amen. The Church is so beautiful because she has arranged for us all of the readings to work together and to bring us a unified message. If we find yesterday's Vespers reading, yesterday's Vespers reading was taken from the Gospel of St. Luke, where Jesus tells a parable that a lot of us find very difficult to understand sometimes. Jesus tells a parable about a master who had um, a master who had a steward, uh, someone who works for him, sort of like someone who's in upper management in his household, the chief butler, uh, the, the, the one who's in charge of uh, distributing things and so on. And he finds out that he's been um, dishonest. So what does this ch chief steward do? He goes and he goes to all of the debtors of his master, all the people who owed his master money, and he tells them, look, you owed him 100, write quickly, write 50. You owed him uh, 50, quickly, write 10, and so on. And in such fashion that he, he changes the books and cuts people deals, and then that way, uh, when he gives the books back to his master, now it's a small town, so people, you know, word gets out. Right? But when he gives the books back to the master, the master knows that the books have been messed with. But he can't do anything because it's the only copy. So he tells him, you're a wise and shrewd steward. Right? And Jesus commends the shrewd steward. So for us, it's like, wait, hold on a second. So this guy is crooked, right? And he's getting fired because he's crooked. So he becomes even more crooked and Jesus commends him. And Jesus says, because the children of this age are more shrewd than the children of light. But Jesus says something. He says something after that. He comments on the parable and he says that um, he who is faithful in what is least will be faithful in also in what is much. And uh, who, uh, he who has not been faithful in unrighteous mammon who will commit to you the, the true riches? And if you are not faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can have two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So God is not telling us to be crooked or to be uh, dishonest. But what he is saying is this this servant was really smart. He was really smart because he was able to realize what his eternal destination is or what his destiny, he realized he's not gonna stay here forever. So he did whatever he had to do in that place to get himself where he needed to go. And then Jesus says something. He says, so you should win friends for yourself in heaven with unrighteous mammon. Now that is a, that is a difficult phrase to understand. What does that mean? So there's so much in this parable that we will talk a little bit about in the sermon. Then the gospel on ev almost every Sunday morning in Matins Raising of Incense is almost always about the resurrection. And indeed it was about the resurrection, but it was specifically from the gospel of St. Mark, which, re which records that the women go to the tomb and they see the tomb and they say, who will roll the stone away from us? And we'll comment about that briefly as well. Then comes the epistle to the Galatians, where we were explaining in the introduction to the readings that the Galatians were some of the people that St. Paul preached to and he loved them very much. But soon after he left, 
The, the Jews came and told them that no, 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 you, you're not actually Christian until you have to become Jewish first and be circumcised first and you have to fulfill all the law. Then if you want, you can become Christian. So St. Paul wrote to them a letter and says, I marvel, I'm astonished that so quickly you turned away from, so quickly you turned away from the word with, to it, with which you were preached. Then there was the epistle to Saint Ju of St. Jude, where St. Jude was make, saying, you have to make a clear distinction between the people who follow God and the people who do not. And to him, it's black and white. There's no areas of gray. And each one of us, this reading is being said to us, and it's a call to each one of us today. It's a call to action today to each one of us. Will you follow God? Will I follow God? Yes or no? In the book of Acts, there was a, a, a very short reading, uh, which I was commenting on and saying, I think it's kind of funny that the, the disciples get apprehended and put in prison uh, in Acts chapter 5, uh, and then the angel comes to them while they're in prison and tells them, come, uh, go, go, come out, and he, and he sets them free, and he tells them, go back into the temple and preach to the people all the words of this life, in such fashion that the people uh, uh, who had put them in prison find it useless to put them in prison, because when they put them in prison, God sets them free. And then the gospel today for the, for the liturgy to crown all of the readings, is the disciples asking each other, and then Jesus finds out that they're discussing this, who will be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus puts a child amongst them, and he says to them, unless you become a child, unless you become like a little child, uh, uh, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But woe to the person who causes one of these little children to stumble, it would be better if they were drowned in the sea. And then he says, if, if anything is preventing you from God, you should cut it off and remove it from yourself. What is the church trying to teach us by putting all these readings together? I'll tell you, it's actually, the message is actually very simple. Very simple, but may I, may, may I do it? You find always the psalm is explaining to us a little bit what the general theme of the readings is. The psalm of the, the gospel today was saying the undefiled in the way, it was really emphasizing the undefiled in the way. You'll find all of the readings, all of the readings have been telling us that God does not appreciate when we mix things. What's, what, if I tell you that I have If I tell you that I have a jug here of water, and it's 100% water, it's pure water, what are you, uh, those of you who are, you know, biochemists in the audience, what are you expecting is in this jug? Water. What does that mean to the people who are, like, smarter than, than, than me, like the chemists? That means it's H2O, and that's it. That means that there's no dissolved salts in it, that there's nothing else. So if I tell the, the chemist that this is pure water, they're not expecting that this came for, from the tap. They're expecting that this came from some distilling process, right? That's, 
That's what it means for us to be pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But why is it that the pure in heart see God and the others miss him categorically? They completely miss him as, as though he wasn't there, but he is. So the pure in heart see him and then others don't. Have you ever went to an art gallery with, with a friend? We have a couple of people in our congregation here who are experts in art. Right? You go visit an art gallery with one of them. And they'll sit and explain things to you, things I would have never seen or on my own. If you would have, in, in 10 lifetimes, I would have never been able to appreciate all of the things that they can show me. They see things that I don't see. Why is it that the pure in heart see God and those who are not pure in heart don't see God despite him being there? The answer is in the readings today. St. Paul says something which always rings in my ear like a gong in, in, in the epistle to the, the Galatians that we read. He says, For I, I do not persuade men, for now do I persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. If I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. St. James puts it more simply for us. He says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Period. Period. Simple as that. In John chapter 7, Jesus says something which rings in my ears so loudly as well. Jesus says, for how can you say you believe in God when you still seek honor from one another? Think about that for a sec. How can you say that you believe in God when you still seek honor from one another and not from the only true God? God is saying to us today, he's saying to you and he's saying to me today, who are you trying to please? Who do you want favor from? Your boss? Your um, uh, partner if you're in a relationship? Or your husband or wife, if you're in a relationship, you're married. <laughs> Sometimes, this morning, I needed a favor from Mary. She was seeking favor from our daughter, our two-year-old. She didn't get it, right? You know, sometimes when you, have, when you have little children and you're trying to get them to do something, you try to, you try to bribe them. You're trying to, we're seeking their favor. Your boss... Uh, your supervisor, your teacher, your professor, whose favor do you seek? From whom do you seek honor? If someone could unexpectedly, from nowhere, this week, when you're totally not looking for it, walk up from behind you, so to speak, either literally or metaphorically, pat you on the back and say, hey, good job with that. You know when you did such and such? That was really good. Who would you want that from? That's what the readings today are about. I'm going to tell you something. And I'm saying this to myself before I'm saying it to anybody else. If the only person that you seek that from is not God, you will never see him. I will never see him. I learned something in marriage. Sorry for... Uh, to, to, uh, to ruffle any feathers. Um, and it may not be the case for everyone, but it was a, certainly the case for me. Things change a little bit after you get married, right? 
I gained about 100 pounds after marriage. With 100 pounds, you start to snore and other things and so on, right? None of these things existed before marriage and none of them were advertised before marriage. And then I realized something, that I need to look good for my wife. I need to look good for my wife. I didn't, I didn't even only need to look good until she married me and now I can look like whatever, right? No, I need to continue to be attractive to her and of course attractive is a much larger word, right? Um, and, you know, like attractive in many senses and so on and, and kind and loving and patient and helpful and all of those things. But I need to make, I need to make some effort in my physical appearance for my wife. Yes, I do. And we could talk much, much more about that if you all want to. But what I'm getting at is this. What I'm getting at is this is why. Is it to keep my wife attracted to me? Maybe. Why? What, there's, what's more than that? Because, because God has given me as a gift to her. God loves her. God cherishes her. And somehow, in God's mind, He loved her so much that He gave me to her. So I should continue to preserve the gift that He has given to her. Who am I seeking to honor? Her? or God. My boss at work. Promotions are coming up. Bonuses are around the corner. The quarter is going to end. I don't know. Whatever. I need, I'm going to be asking him for a reference for such and such. Whatever. St. Paul tells us in Colossians, do you serve an earthly master? In my own personal readings this week, I was reading a book by St. John Christum and he's quoting St. John the Solitary. And St. John, John the Solitary says, O wretched man that I am, that I seek to please everyone, and in so doing I please no one. God created me and then came and redeemed me and made me free, but I have made myself a slave of everyone by trying to please everyone. Who are you trying to please? Who are you trying to please? Elijah stands before the king. He stands before the king. And he tells him, King, you're doing the wrong thing. And he reprimands him, he chastises him, he says, and it's not going to rain until I say so. Because you're worshipping idols. But what does he say before that? What's the first thing he says? The first thing he says is, God before whom I stand. God before whom I stand. He had, he had the sense that he was standing in front of God. Last Lent, not this year, the year before, I wanted to devote that, that fast. I tried to devote every fast to a virtue or overcoming a vice, like either overcoming a sin that I'm struggling with or to develop a virtue. I wanted to develop the fear of God. I wanted to know, understand, and enjoy and live the fear of God. I looked everywhere. I looked for books. I found one book, it wasn't very good. I looked for sermons. I looked and looked and looked and looked and finally one of you, one of you guys sent me a beautiful sermon by Father Matthew the Poor. But that was about it. I had planned to spend the 55 days studying this topic and I couldn't find anything anywhere. 
A little bit after the fast in May, we had a clergy meeting. We had a clergy meeting and a bishop who came and was speaking with us. And he was speaking with us about dealing with conflict, interpersonal conflict, and resolving interpersonal conflict. But what marked me the most was not something that he said about interpersonal conflict. What marked me the most is he was saying, he was saying the importance of solving our conflicts with people because these are the children of God. And God loves them very much. So if I can't stand my brother or my sister, and then I'm going to go stand before my father, how am I going to stand before him? And he was, the way he was talking was that the time that he had with God to pray in the evening, the time that he had to pray with God in the evening was the most precious thing in the whole wide world. That, that what happened in his inner room was more precious to him than everything that happened outside. So he would be a fool to let anything that happened outside compromise his, what's going to happen in that room. He would be a fool. He would be, he'd be out of his mind. He'd be crazy. He'd be, he'd, he'd be nuts to allow something that is outside of his prayer to disturb his prayer. Because that is so precious to him. That's what marked me. And that's what taught me what the fear of God is. That man had fear. That man had fear. But he wasn't afraid to upset anybody. And he wasn't afraid to be humiliated. And if they spit in my face, spit in my face. It's okay, don't worry. Doesn't matter. Because I don't want to lose God in my room. I want to tell you a confession. Sometimes when I go to my room to pray, I find God there in all of His glory. And like Isaiah, I feel like I, I, I'm like part of the Chronicles of Narnia or something. I stepped through the wardrobe and I stepped into heaven. And God is there in the fullness of His glory and I'm in awe. Yeah, that happens to me once in a blue moon. It also happens to me that I stand to pray and I feel like I'm talking to the ceiling, maybe to the walls, and the time passes so slowly. What's the difference? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So who changed? There's only two of us in the room. It wasn't Jesus, okay? Process of deduction, Sherlock Holmes. Who is it? Me. Me. I have allowed, I have allowed the other things in my life to steal from me the glory of God. The disciples are asking, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus is asking you and me today, do you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Then let God be great in your estimation. St. Paul is astonished at the Galatians. He's, he's shocked. He, he's awestruck. It, it, we get shocked when we see somebody healed or sick and they made better or raised from the dead. We call it a miracle and we go, we say, wow. To St. Paul, it's the other way around. St. Paul's handkerchiefs, his, his dirty Kleenexes healed the sick and raised the dead. So healing the sick and raising the dead is no big deal to St. Paul. What's a big deal to St. Paul is you have been given eternal life. 
You've been given favor with the Almighty God, the Creator Himself. And you're worried if your boss likes you, he doesn't like you. And you're, and you're worried your teacher likes you, doesn't like you. And you're worried your congregation approves of you, doesn't approve of you. And you're worried of this and you're worried of that. St. Paul is, he says, I, I marvel that you turned away so quickly. I, I don't understand. I don't get it. How? It doesn't, it doesn't add up to me, St. Paul, Paul says. Okay, Father John, God has to be really high. I have to hold him very high in my esteem. And he has to matter to me more than anything else. In fact, he has to matter to me and nothing else should really matter. That sounds very nice. And the way you say it, it, it seems to make sense, at least up here. How do I operationalize that? What, do, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to walk into work an hour late and say, well, I don't really care what you think of me. I don't really care what anybody thinks of me. I only care what God thinks of me, right? Is that what I'm supposed to, what am I supposed, how am I supposed to do this? The readings give us two hints, two hints of how, how to honor the favor that God has for you, the high place that God has for you. The first is in, was in the Gospel of Vespers yesterday when, when Jesus says this parable and he says this parable and he, he says, win for yourselves friends with unrighteous mammon. What's he talking about there? He's saying, you have been given some, let's use money as an example, but money is really a, an icon of, of resources, of stuff. Money is... Money could be resources or wealth could be wealth and money and time uh, and, and knowledge and ability, education, all of these things, okay, are resources. God has given you resources, right? Use them to win friends for yourself in the kingdom. Who are the friends of God? And I tell you, the friends of God are the poor. The, where do we get that from? We get that from the psalm. We get that from the psalm of the Matins reading this morning. Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will de deliver him in the time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. And he will be blessed on earth. All of these promises for the person who considers the poor. God is asking you and me to give the poor consideration. What is the poor? I don't know. Poor in all of these things that we just said. Money, time, resources, education, and so on. Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in the time of trouble. There's a beautiful, I hate the term the poor, because I oftentimes feel like I'm more poor than the poor are. So in my first year of priesthood, I tried to find a fun, catchy phrase to describe the poor. Something sexy, you know? Well, guess what? There's nothing sexy about the poor, right? So I never found anything that was sexy to describe the poor. But I did find a phrase that was really beautiful, but it's too cumbersome to use, so I don't use it. But it's the vicars of Christ. What is, what is a vicar? A vicar is like a deputy, a person whose job is to receive on behalf of somebody else. Okay, so suppose um, I ordered a package and I'm not going to be home. So I called, you know, UPS or FedEx or DHL or whoever and told them, 
Mary Boutros will sign for it. So Mary is receiving this package on my behalf. But whose package is it? It's mine. But who's receiving it? She is. Why? Because I asked her to. Because I assigned this task to her. The poor are the vicars of Christ. Christ has assigned them to receive from us. I was uh, uh, talking to my brother-in-law yesterday and I was telling him about um, somebody who's poor, who stole something and then he got convicted and it was a sad story, you know, uh, that I had heard second or third hand, but it was sort of part of our conversation and it came up, right? Um, and I said, you know, it's too bad that this guy got convicted because he was, he was stealing, like, he was stealing to, to, help, to help out his family. He wasn't stealing. But that doesn't make stealing right. And so we're discussing is stealing right, is stealing wrong, and so on. And my brother-in-law, who's a real no-nonsense person, stopped our conversation. He said, you know, John, it doesn't really matter. I, I, to me, it doesn't really matter if what he did was right or wrong. He stole because we stole from God. And I looked at him and said, what do you mean? And he said, we stole from God because God gave us wealth and to spare. And if we would have given that poor man, he wouldn't have stole to support his family. So I don't know whether he did the right thing or the wrong thing, but I'll tell you the truth, we didn't do the right thing. St. John Chrysostom would agree with him. St. John Chrysostom says, Do not know that when you withhold wealth from the poor, you are stealing from God, for he gave it to you for their sake. Like St. John Chrysostom is saying, God could have given it directly to the poor, but he wanted you to, to have a blessing. He wanted to honor you. He wanted to glorify you. When I was a kid, we'd go to church together, my parents would give us some money to put in the donation box, right? They'd give us some money and they'd say, this is for you to put in the donation box. One day, naughty little John ran across the street to the corner store, right? The Dépanneur in Quebec, right? In Montreal and bought himself some candy with what? With the money that was supposed to go in the money box, right? Little naughty John got a talking to when he was walking around with a pocket full of candy, right? I didn't, I didn't think quite far ahead enough that I wouldn't be able to eat all this candy before and hide the wrappers before I saw my parents, right? God gave me what he gave me so that I could give it to the poor, not so that I could spend it on myself. Who am I stealing from? I'm stealing from God and I'm stealing from those who are, have said, God said, this person is here to receive on my behalf, which we find very clearly in Matthew 25. So that is, that is the summary of this parable that we find so difficult to understand sometimes of the shrewd steward that let us use money, which is monopoly money, or our time, which is here on earth, nothing compared to the length of eternity. Or let us use our education, which 
you know, God bless you, you know so much, and you have six university degrees, and you're so intelligent. What is that compared to the fullness of the knowledge that God wants to give you in the kingdom of heaven when He opens our eyes to see and to understand? What does the Bible tell us? All things. Imagine, in the kingdom we will understand all things. What is that? Nothing. Nothing. So what I have here is trifles. What I have here is... So let me use it for the purpose with which God gave it to me, not what the world says to me. And in so doing, I'm declaring plainly that I have a different king. That I, yes, I'll take care of my boss, yes, okay, I'll do what he wants, yes, yes. But I do it because God himself has asked me to do so, and because God himself wants me to do so. And I seek to honor God. What else can we do? The gospel of the, the liturgy today tells us something. These little children, these little children, let us be very careful in our relationships with children. Parents, let us be very careful in our relationships with our own children. People who don't have children, try to be very, very careful in your relationships with children. When I was interviewing for my previous job, they asked me, why do you want to do surgery for children? I said, well, why I want to do surgery is its whole, whole own ball of wax. But why do I want to do surgery for children is very simple. Because Jesus says, this is what I said at my job interview, told them, this is, this is who I am. Jesus says that of these are the kingdom of heaven. So where I'm going, my eternal destination is full of kids. And I don't get that. And he says, unless I become like these little children, I can't, I can't enter the kingdom of heaven. So I want to understand. I want to, I, want to, I want to be around children all the time, especially in my work, especially if you work 80 hours a week. It's a significant part of your life. You know, I'd, like, I'd rather be around children than be around adults and learn from them. What is it that is so pleasing to God about them? Oftentimes, we look at children as um, that they need to be educated, that they need to be disciplined, they need to be taught, and so on. But all of that is true. All of that is true. But let us not neglect to learn from these little children how to be humble. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I had so much to say about, about that, but I'm just actually going to stop there. Let us learn what it means to be humble from little children. And this is a plea for, to you and to me that sometimes in the church, little children make a bit of noise. Sometimes they run around and they bump into you. Or sometimes uh, this or that, right? Let, let us rather, although it's different, although they're worshiping God a little bit differently than the way that we worship God as adults, right? Maybe Jesus wants us to learn something from them. Maybe they have a freedom in worshiping Him that we have lost. Maybe they have a curiosity that we have lost. When I try, we try, Mary and I, to go and attend a liturgy at some other church where I attend as a congregant. I just stand in the congregation and I, I take care of Anna so Mary can pray properly in a liturgy. You know what I end up doing the entire liturgy? Going from icon to icon 
taking their blessings. And then we go back again. And I figure like after we've done the round three times around the church, like, okay, she's, that's good enough. No, it's not. A ceaseless curiosity for, for who are these saints and who are they? And I quietly tell her the story of each one in one or two sentences. And we go to the next one. And she wants to go back again. And I learn, I learn so much from my two-year-old. May we all have that experience. And, and that may be true for us who have biological children, but children are around us everywhere. Children are around us everywhere. And we have the opportunity to learn from them, to, to allow them to be our teachers, to put ourselves under them that we may learn from them. These are two simple things that we can do to consider the poor and to learn from children that both speak to the fact that we are worshipping a much higher God and we are honoring a much greater God than the, the, the people who seek our honor here on earth. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. I have sinned. Forgive me. My fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, please pray for me.